Welcome to the Franchise You Podcast, where key industry leaders provide education and inspiration. Here's your host, Dr. Kathy Gosser, the director of the Yum Center for Global Franchise Excellence at the University of Louisville. So welcome back to Franchise You. With me today, I have Lauren Fernandez, and you all are in for a treat. So Lauren, you're the CEO of Full Course, which is a development and investment firm focused on the restaurant industry. I love the restaurant industry. You have a law degree and an MBA from Emory University. And when you couple that with that English undergraduate degree, you definitely are a force. So you've had extensive franchising experience from being the general counsel at Focus Brands, which is a very large franchisor of several brands. And you were a franchisee of 11 chicken salad chick restaurants in Atlanta in a short amount of time. So that's going to be an interesting story to unpack as well. So welcome, Lauren. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate you inviting me to be on today. Oh, of course. So you started your career as an attorney in a law firm, but then Mm -hmm. you moved to the franchise world. Can you just walk us through that journey? Yeah. So I came out of law school and my Goizueta MBA in 2006. I'm dating myself a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. But I, I think it's important to understand the many leaps I've made in my career have always had a defining purpose. One is to really maximize the opportunities I have to grow as an individual, personally and professionally. But as an attorney, I always wanted to move closer to the business. So I started my career in a really respected intellectual property boutique here in Atlanta, Georgia, named Gardner Groff. They've been around for over 30 years now. I might even be shorting them a little bit. It might be more than that. You know, one of the things I think most people don't understand about attorneys is you don't leave law school always knowing how to be a lawyer. Mm -hmm. You know the basics of how to think like one, write like one, talk like one, but you learn the practice through apprenticeship. And that is something that another JD MBA that I interviewed with um, told me. She was a corporate attorney at GE Capital. And she said to me, Lauren, if you want to be an exceptional in-house attorney, you need to not go down the business road first. When you finish school, get apprenticed somewhere, go into an environment, invest in yourself and learn from lawyers who really know what they're doing. And it was the best advice that I got. So it was not a pretty environment to come out of law school in 2006 and get a job. And I made less money as a lawyer at that time than I had in some previous careers before I ever went to law school, which was terrifying. Oh, wow. I trusted in that. And so I think every jump I made after that was a hunger to learn more, to stretch more and to grow. And so I realized I had a real knack in private practice for helping our clients see the business side mm-hmm. to understanding that part. But it was, you know, hit or miss whether or not clients even wanted to have those conversations with you or pay for them. Yeah. And so when I had the opportunity to jump in-house, I did. And I got put on a very active, very quick uh, product commercialization team at a division of Novartis Pharmaceuticals at the time was called SIBA Vision. It was their eye care division. Mm. So I'm a product development attorney. That's actually my background. So that's my sweet spot, right? (laughs) A $2 billion international product launch. Like, yes, I'll give my left arm. Sounds great. So I jumped in. I was the um, global trademarks counsel and associate general counsel at their eye care division. I was there for several years and helped launch the product. It was amazing. It was such a phenomenal experience. 
And that really showed me the value of being embedded in the business, really seeing at the front lines, being on part of a multifunctional team. It was really my first exposure to systems and processes for Mm -hmm. everything. It's a Swiss company. So you can imagine publicly traded, super buttoned up. I loved every minute of it. It spoke to my soul as a type A personality. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, as is in many of these companies, you get tagged for projects that are all over the world. I was debating the next kind of leap in that path. And I got a call from someone I had gone to business school with at Focus Brands. Yeah. And she said, hi, you know, I've been doing licensing here. We need some help. Would you be willing to just come and talk to our CEO? And I um, didn't really understand that it was an interview necessarily. And the CEO was Russ Umfenhauer, CEO of Focus Brands. So I go to the coffee. I really wasn't expecting anything. And she had warned me beforehand, like, hey, like, doesn't really love lawyers. So good luck. And I was like, oh, okay, great. So I go into this meeting and um, we have coffee and we're just talking. And I told him my philosophy and it was really simple. I said, look, my job as counsel is to understand your business really thoroughly. And Mm -hmm. if I can do that, I can help guide and shepherd you into better business decisions, but it's not my job to make them. It's very rare that I actually do. In fact, in my career to that point in house counsel, I'd made one decision that was authoritative and it was for a product recall. And that was my job to decide, right? So I said that it hit, we hit it off. He ended up recruiting me into focus brands. And I took that opportunity because one, I had an opportunity to grow and redefine a department. Um, Two, I really wanted to be closer to customers. So Having been in the business, loved it, but in a pharmaceutical company, you're very far away from the actual customer interaction. And Focus Brands and the team there were phenomenal at the time. I looked around, I'm like, goodness, if I'm going to learn a new industry and I'm going to get closer to food, which I love, and people, this is the place to do it. And it was the best decision I ever made. It was fantastic. So, you know, the thread there is, you know, how to how to grow and push yourself and really knowing yourself, I think, is at the heart of that. And I also think, as I always tell my students, networking is so important. It's Mm -hmm. who you know and who you can meet along the way makes a makes a big difference. So then you're at Focus Brands, you're right in the heart of franchising. What were some of your biggest learnings before you leaped into your next role? Wow, uh, great question. I I think I can say, and I'm going to put this in Russ's words. He used to say this all the time. We'd be in meetings, we'd be in one on ones, and he would ask the following question: You would propose something. Say, Russ, I wanted to make this change in this clause in our franchise agreement to make sure we're current with law. And he would look at me and go, how does this benefit our franchisees? Oh, wow. Every single time. If you were not prepared with the answer to that question, it was like game over. Oh, and wow. I, I took it. I, I took for granted. I'll be honest that that sort of ethos and that battle cry of how does this benefit our franchisees? and expected it to be everywhere. And it's not, it was definitely unique to that environment and unique to his leadership, which I'm super grateful for to this day. And I think to me that underscored how we handled compliance too. So of course I I ran franchise administration for the company and franchise compliance for all of our brands. And in doing so, it was very important to Russ and to the brand presidents at the time as well, that we really have a long-term view in our relationships with our franchisees. And one of the things that I learned in that environment was you have to be a protector of the brand 
but you also have to be a cheerleader of these people who are driving the brand with you. And that is a delicate balance that requires a high level of empathy and understanding. Mm -hmm. And I, I think those are, if I could say two of the biggest lessons I learned while I was there at focus that I still carry forward with me today and are such a huge hallmark of how we build our own business at full course uh, for sure. Oh gosh, that is brilliant because you are so right. It is the franchisor's role to protect the brand, but cheer on those franchisees who are driving your business and generating your growth. So well, well said. So mm -hmm. then you decided after you'd been at Focus that you wanted to become a franchisee and you didn't do it by just doing opening one or two outlets. <laughs> no, you jumped right in. And within two and a half years, I think you had 11 chicken salad chicks. So can you tell us why you decided to do that and a little bit about it? Yeah. So the short answer is I'm a born entrepreneur. I had my first business at 14. Oh and one of the most fascinating things about sitting at the desk and doing all the franchise transaction deals for Focus, I mean, probably hundreds of deals over a three-year plus period, I saw how many franchisees were building generational wealth. I saw how many families were benefiting from the model that we had created through multiple brands that we owned, how many of them were diversifying into other brands that we owned. It was fascinating for me. Mm -hmm. And so I, I had this front row seat to all these early stage entrepreneurs using franchising as the rails for their growth. And so to your point, like who does that? Like who yeah. hangs up their career, rolls up their law degree, puts it in a closet and pushes their chips all in on franchising? I'll tell you, it's someone who really believes in it. That's true. Um, I wanted operational experience. I felt a deep pull to really have that level of understanding and, and true empathy where I'd walked the walk. Um, and I was sitting in a, in a mentor chat with Russ after we had both left focus at this point. And I'm sitting at the table and I said, Russ, I just, I don't, I don't know. I just don't know that I want to go work for a CEO that doesn't see the lawyer as a business partner. Those jobs mm -hmm. are so hard to find. And he said, why don't you go buy a franchise? Like, why haven't you, you talk about, well, just do it, just do oh. it. He just has this beautiful way of just like, just do it, Lauren. Like quit <laughs> talking yourself into a hole, just do it. And it's kind of like this loving encouragement and, you know, straight talk, right. That you want from a mentor. Right, right. And he said, that's the perfect way for you to learn. That's what franchising is for. You know, this they'll train you on how to do everything. And I was like, God, you know, he's right. And so I'll flash forward for you. Two years later, um, I'm, I had done all this due diligence on buying different into different franchise systems. I ended mm -hmm. up taking a partner. We buy a chicken salad chick territory in three existing units. Russ happened, complete coincidence, to be invested in and as, as the chairman. He was on the chairman. Uh, he was the chairman of the board for that brand at that time. Oh gosh. So we're in the Atlanta market and he walks into my restaurant. I'm standing at the counter at Expo at lunch. I uh -huh. don't even know he's there. And I'm doing the thing at the counter, you know, I'm rallying the team. We're just getting mm -hmm. slammed at lunch. And I turn around and he's looking at me from across the room. He's in the corner of the dining room with his, just his arms crossed and he's just big grit. And oh he walked, he saw that I saw him and he walked up to the Expo counter and he's like, I'm so proud of where you're standing right now. And I looked at him and I said, you told me to go buy one restaurant. You didn't think I'd go buy three in a territory and 25 development obligations. Oh my gosh. That's a lot. That's a lot. 
Yeah, but you know, I understood the importance of scale. I was really fortunate that I was able to find a partner who believed in me and put the capital behind our growth, who had the vision with me to double down and really push a lot of our capital into chicken salad chick development, where we had not necessarily initially planned on that. And he was right. So we did open eight restaurants in 20 months while I was operating them all at the same time. So it was a heavy lift but I don't regret it. And it was a phenomenal experience. So, you know, I give, I give shout out and props to all the people who lovingly encouraged, pushed, nudged, and supported me along the way. Cause I didn't do it by myself. I had a team, I had phenomenal employees. I had great partners. I had a great brand. I mean, let's just talk about that. I, yeah. We signed up with a female backed and founded brand um, with a disproportionately large number of female franchisees, I felt like I had walked into a group of my people. I mean, it was fantastic. And so what an enormously powerful experience to have as your first time as a franchisee. I mean, it was, it was, it was a great experience all the way around. Oh, of course. And you know, chicken salad chick continues to grow and develop, but anyone who has ever been in franchising knows opening eight restaurants in two years, 20 months, as you said, mm-hmm. is almost unheard of. But the franchise model allows you to do that because yeah. it provides the proven business model mm-hmm. that you just rinse and repeat. It's not quite that easy, but at least you do have a model and a platform. So when we think about franchising, what do you think are the biggest benefits of franchising as opposed to opening your own? Hmm. You know, okay, so the lawyer in me will say this first. <laughs> It's a beautiful way to share and mitigate and allocate risk. So from a franchisor perspective, you get the scalable growth that investors love without huge capital expenditure, and you get the mitigated risk of the labor and the business operations down at a franchisee level, barring Mm -hmm. any weird laws that may exist in California, asterisk there. (laughs) You know, I think from a franchisee perspective, obviously, like you get the rails for entrepreneurial growth. And I always look at, you know, it is no shock to me that the United States invented franchising. We are the most entrepreneurial country out there. We have that spirit. We call it the American dream, for goodness sake, and that hard work and dedication can get you anywhere. And we invented a system where you can put rails on that, if you will, or guardrails that almost help assess and and reassess and shape your growth to a point where you're hitting real true success, right? So it's making it more likely that you're going to be successful. Yes, but it's always about growing you, improving you, and helping you build your business because they want your business to grow even as they're building more franchises. They want to see year over year comp growth, right? They want to see that you're adding catering to your repertoire. They want to see you doing off-premise stuff. They want to see you open multiple locations. So I I love the spirit of that. And I think for a franchisee, that safety net there of having someone as your coach is so important. It's not just giving you a manual. It's having that coach with you in the field. And this is a true story. Like I believe in that so much that you need the playbook and the player coach mm-hmm. next to you that we ultimately hired my FBC from Chicken Salad Chick is now my chief operating officer. Oh, no, that's That is great. how much I believe in that because he taught me everything I know about restaurants and more mm-hmm. as well as my team. But I can't hire, you know, 400 employees that I had at Chicken Salad Chick. However, I can bring the person who was instrumental in helping guide my trajectory as an owner 
onto our team and help recreate that experience for our own investments. Absolutely. Oh, and you have confirmed so many times you'll hear folks in franchising say, you know, being in franchising is being in business for yourself, but not by yourself. And not only does a franchisor provide support in your own team, but fellow franchisees, because it's in the best interest of everyone to be successful. So, yeah, so I will different. agree. I think some franchisors get a little nervous when franchisees start helping each other and chattering. And I actually think that's a great thing. Yeah. I am 100% behind a fact. I think independent committees are great. I love it when they talk. And I I think kind of like, stay stay out of that. Like, let, let them kind of vent. Let them have their space. Right. Have some constructive ways to elevate good ideas. But that is such a thing. I am so deeply connected to so many of my fellow chicks they mm-hmm. still call me. I call them. We're family forever, whether they like it or not. <laughs> okay. Now, wait a minute. Did you call them fellow chicks? That yes, is so cute. we do. <laughs> I I use that term, although there's some of them are men and that's okay. Right. We use the term. They, that's right. <laughs> they can be as well. Totally. Neutral. <laughs> yes. That is a very clever though, given the name. That's very clever. And you know, I hear that from many franchisees is that they have a cadre of people that they really trust and call and and depend on. And I I do think that is unique in franchising. Yeah, it's a community for sure. And I Mm -hmm. think that goes to the longevity of those relationships. They're long-term relationships. So everyone has this understanding like, hey, you're in the same boat together. Um, You know, you're creating a neighborhood, you're creating a community. You don't want to be too disruptive. You want to make sure you challenge in the right ways and you always come with a positive solution. And that's you know, a hallmark of my time, not only a a sort of like a marching order from my personal family, but also in my business and in the franchising world. And you just don't complain unless you have a solution. Let's, let's all try to make it better. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great if everyone (laughs) felt that way, but let's move on to where you're at today. So all of this wonderful experience has led you to your company called Full Course. Mm -hmm. And so I have to read this description on your website because I I just love it. And I'm going to have you talk about it. Yeah. So you say traditional restaurant investors treat growth like a pack of thoroughbred horses running a race in circles. We're the zebra streaking across the track. Okay, that is so descriptive. Let's start with that and and unpack that a little bit for us. Yeah, so our rainbow striped zebra is our unofficial mascot. It's actually on our website. It's hidden on the bottom of one of our pages, and it will be making some more appearances pretty soon. So stay tuned. But it's a metaphor that I came up with a really long time ago to describe how we really wanted to disrupt the way that people invest in restaurants. And, you know, there are certain PE structures that are normal and great and they're fine for larger restaurant groups. But when you're talking about emerging restaurant brands, you have to be thoughtful and really purposeful in the way that you approach that investment. And so for us, what that refers to when we say zebra is number one, we invest completely differently. The size of our checks are larger, like two to $4 million usually. And yet we don't necessarily function like a PE in the field. So we have operational support where we support best in class practices across every aspect of the business, deep vendor partnership and relationships, and a full development team across four major channels that we develop every single one of our businesses. So We treat our investment very differently also in the sense that we only take a 49% minority stake and we don't ever go into the majority, meaning we are not going to capital call an original founder off their 51%. We're not going to come back to them for money to write a check for development. We're not going to try and leverage the business with debt. We cannot do that without their permission. We all have to agree as partners. 
And to me, that's very important. It honors the spirit of the hard work that they've put in. It honors the the really the founder's position as the owner operator of the company, which we want. We want them to stay in control of the operations. And it's a completely new way of approaching development of early stage brands. And, you know, for me as a product development attorney for many years, I saw it focus the power of adding consumer packaged goods, wholesale products, and any kind of retail to an existing restaurant brand. We did it with Cinnabon and we slowly started rolling it out to our other brands as well massive contributions to EBITDA. Mm -hmm. At one point, it was contributing almost 90% of one of our brands EBITDA. Wow. Yeah. And it was reported in the FDD and I was kind of like, you know, (laughs) gas. But, you know, that is the power of extreme brand equity that the franchisees built, that the company built over many, many, many years. And you're leveraging it onto other platforms where consumers can benefit. So when we develop brands, we look at the power of those multiple revenue streams product development, non-traditional development, company stores is a core foundation, at least five units. And then we look at franchising and we look at those as a synergistic, holistic approach to brand development. We are teeing it up so that the next private equity that owns it has many different avenues that they can Mm -hmm. grow the business and they enjoy the benefit of those revenue streams to stabilize the business. That is why we are a zebra with rainbow stripes, as opposed to another thoroughbred racehorse, you know, we're the new kid on the block. We have no shame in that game. We want to be different. It's intentional. Mm -hmm. And one of the other ways that you're different from traditional private equity firms is that you offer education and consulting. Can you tell us what that entails? Yeah. Like I said earlier, everything about full course has just been informed by my many different experiences and mentors over the years. And one of the things that I really valued in my time as a franchisee was that mentorship education and guidance that was in the field with us. So we do have an education foundation. It is a key aspect of full course. It's been around since the beginning. It was the first money I ever invested in this company. So it is now a nonprofit 501c3. We offer all kind of curated restaurant content. Some of it is custom and we create it specifically for our platform. But the idea is a rising tide lifts all boats here. We want to create opportunities across every level of this industry for personal and professional growth. We want to help you, even if you're not one of our investments, we want to help you better your operations. So there are very affordable courses, workshops, all kinds of resources on our platform that are often at low or little, no or little cost to you so that you can improve yourself in the industry and we can continue to improve the industry as a whole. Oh, that is amazing. And what about the consulting aspect? Yeah, so we offer coaching and consulting through mm-hmm. our company. So our three main pillars, we have the education pillar, we have our management company that offers both consulting, coaching, and that is also including our operational support and our development support. And we also have our fund, right? And that will be one of many funds to come. So a key aspect here is we believe deeply that you need the playbook, right? You need to be transparent and the smart and available ways for people to grow their businesses, right? But in doing so, you can't just hand someone the playbook and be like, okay, go, go run your place. You're good to go. So we really believe in this player coach mentality. So it's no mistake that our entire C-suite, we're all former restaurant operators. Every single one of us has actually walked that walk 
been responsible for your PL, and at least two of us have been owners. So it's very important to us that we have that as our team kind of backbone because it's a it's where we get our deep level of empathy from. It's how we connect to our owners. It's so much more than just believability, right? It's understanding what it takes at a deep, deep, deep level. So yeah, we're your playbook. We're your player coach in our consulting practice. You know, and we're going to give you the tools you need to execute the play, which in this instance is fair, ethical, and principled capital, mm-hmm. right? That's why we built a completely new capital structure that sits somewhere between venture capital and private equity. Cause we just said, look, you know what? Neither one of these models work. And I went to a lawyer and I said, look, I'm a lawyer. I'm going to tell you right now, I know this doesn't fit either of your templates. And I know it's going to cost us a lot of money to build it out differently, but we need to. And God bless him. He spent months <laughs> building out a different model and it works and it works for us in what we do. And I think that that's important to understand. Like, you know, sometimes when you're solving a problem, you look to the tools that are in the industry and you go, well, why hasn't this been solved yet? Why are there not more investments in early stage restaurants? And when we started saying, we built it the other way and we said, okay, what are, what do you actually need? And how can we get it to you rather than trying to solve it with a tool that's out there? Because if if it could be done with existing tools, it would have been done already. Mm-hmm. So we went and engineered tools that worked. And that's how we ended up with full course. I mean, it really checks a lot of boxes and people look at it often and go, wow, this is everything. I go, yeah, we really thought about it. <laughs> Open you to did. suggestions. There's a box right over there. <laughs> but you you definitely did. And, you know, so oftentimes folks have a wonderful concept for a restaurant, but without the education and the guidance, that's where they tend to fail. So having that all in one is really impressive. And you also talk about, you focus on building an equitable and inclusive restaurant industry where all faces and flavors have a seat at the table. Can you talk about what that means to you? Yeah, people are at the heart of what we do in this industry. We're one of the largest employers in the nation you know, over six, uh, 60%, I think it's up to 65% of folks who are in our industry, it's their first job and they're under the age of 24. Yeah. That's Amazing. a huge opportunity for us to touch yes. some lives and better their futures. And when I think about what those people look like, the vast majority of the diversity in our industry, we're pretty diverse on paper. If you look at us on a, on a whole, but the vast majority of the diversity and ownership is trapped at that one unit level where there's not a really huge financial return for that investment. There's also a tremendous amount of diversity kind of trapped in, let's just call it back of house, mm-hmm. right? In those hourly wage jobs. And the way I look at Full Course's mission and role in this is how can we create opportunities for all of that diversity to come up and out into the light. Mm -hmm. And so what we do is level the playing field, right? Mm -hmm. We give them that playbook, we coach them through it. And in doing so, we can immediately change the face of the industry by bringing forth brands that truly represent the cultural diversity in this country. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's very important as the daughter of a Cuban. I'm a Cuban American first gen. And I I I want to see more of the foods we all love to eat in our neighborhood, you know? And I want to see that celebrated and embraced and normalized. And I think given the opportunity, 
we'll be surprised at how much Americans love diversity in their food. I, I think that's what we eat. That's why there are so many independently run restaurants in all of our neighborhoods, oh, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. So can you tell us, maybe give us a idea of one of the success stories that's come out of full course? Yeah. So hot off the press, we just announced our first uh, investments. And one of them was in a brand called Nonstop, N-A-A-N-S-T-O-P, founded by two brothers, Neil and Samir Adnani. They were born here in the United States. And so their fast, casual Indian concept makes Indian food approachable and inviting and really helps bridge a gap culturally between Indian culture and American culture. So the food style execution is kind of in a build your own bowl format, but makes it easy for you to understand what it is you're eating and the names and the seasonings behind it. So it's a combination of like a national geographic experience, their mother's recipe and all the love of their family behind it. And this deep desire for understanding and creating that cultural bridge for food. And I loved that passion from the brothers from the beginning. They're phenomenal people and they have small children like I do. And they want to make sure that children understand that there is the same kinds of food across every culture. Like every culture has a rice and bean. Every culture has a meat and a bread. Like there's so many commonalities that really bring us all together And let's face it, food is a beautiful connector. Food is such a beautiful way to explain culture and connect to people, not just in sharing it, but in using it to explain as well. Oh, I love how you describe that. First of all, what a great name. That is Mm -hmm. a fantastic name. Play on the word non. That is such a good name. But also the fact that it's not just having this wonderful food, but it's also teaching different cultures. And that is really amazing. So I can't wait to see that come to my hometown. So if if somebody's interested in all that you've talked about, how do they contact you and and get involved? And, you know, what does that process look like? Yeah. So we're at fullcourse.com. We're on forms of social media as at fullcourseofficial. And you can reach us on our website and book a call any day. We have opportunities for investment. We have opportunities for mentorship and opportunities for sponsorship on our education platform. And obviously, we are always looking for amazing brands who need our support, whether that's through our educational offerings, our coaching, or our investment, or all of the above. So that is the best way to find us. We are easily accessible, and we love talking to people. This has been a great way for us to network within our restaurant community. So we have a deep network of vendor partners and referral partners who support what we're doing, and we're so grateful for that. So even if you are a vendor in the industry, we would love to talk to you as well. Well, I love how open and approachable you are. And, and I know your website is incredible. I sure had a lot of fun navigating through that. Thank so you. What, what's next for Full Course and you? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So I I think we have big growth plans. I don't think you, you should be surprised by that. So we're going to be yeah. adding some additional services that we had always envisioned being part of full course, but they weren't part of this core offering. So we will be adding, we have the three verticals right now, the education, the management company, and our fund. We will be adding to those verticals in the next year to two years. And we have that all mapped out. I have a vision to raise a debt fund because I realize that even as we are growing brands, we need to support our franchises as well. So we have diversity within our franchise community. And sometimes franchisees 
need equitable support as well when it comes to capital and and getting fair access to debt. So that is a a project of mine that I'm working on right now. So stay tuned on that. Um, You know, I think we're really looking to expand our education foundation and making sure that we are really connecting to all of the other people in our industry, like yourself, who are really working hard to increase diversity, equity, inclusion, Mm -hmm. and using education as a vehicle to help lift up and celebrate that kind of diversity and promote it with opportunities within franchising. So we are working very hard to grow that and having conversations all over the United States with small business development programs with local organizations like restaurant associations, with universities and colleges everywhere. And so I think we're going to be seeing a lot of big announcements coming out soon. And I'm really, really proud of that. Well, that doesn't surprise me. Let me just tell you, because you have had an incredible career. Actually, Nation's Restaurant News just named you on the power list this year, which Mm -hmm. is amazing. So what are you most proud of? Oh, goodness. Um, it's not on my CV. Um, I'm most proud of my family of where I came from. And lots of times people, you know, even when I get accolades, the first person I call is my dad. Ah, yeah. I'm not getting emotional. (laughs) No, because you know, there's that, there's something about that, that Cuban American, like that, that immigrant hustle that I feel to better the next generation and leave it better than I found it. And I believe that about our industry, just as much as I believe that for my family, because the industry is my family and I want to leave this industry better than I found it. And that is what I'm proud of. If I'm proud of anything, it's that my family instilled that in me. And now I'm doing it in our industry in a way that I hope has a big impact and legacy. Well, you certainly are. You certainly are. Well, my last question is, and you have some extensive franchise experience. Is there anything you wish you had known when you entered the world of franchising? Oh, yeah. Listen, I'm going to quote my chief people officer on this one because she nailed it. I think this sums it up beautifully. Uh, We're in a people business. Mm -hmm. You know, food is our product. Um, I I think I wish I had known a little sooner or understood more deeply, let me say that, that it was really about our employees. I wish I had put my focus there sooner. It took me about a year to figure that out. Um, but I wish I had put the focus there earlier. And I, my only regret in my term of ownership was I didn't get that extra year back because we ended up selling our restaurants at the end of 2018. And so I didn't get that time to really do all the things I wanted to do with our almost 500 employees to make sure we were taking care of them, that we had done all these kind of big goals that we had to really change the way restaurant employees were compensated the way that they had like access to profit sharing, even at an hourly level. Like we, we, we wanted to do some big things. We had it at a management level. We were working on rolling it out down to an hourly level and trying a bunch of other ways to incentivize our employees and make them feel like they were part of our success. So yeah, I think that's the biggest takeaway. This is a people business, whether you are a franchisor or a franchisee or a vendor to either you know, I think that that's really the key of what we're doing. This is a this is a people first industry, and that is what we build full course on. We say family first, operations second, and we'll worry about everything else third. And the reason we say that is because everyone's our family, right? And it, not to sound cheesy, but that's the way we look at it. It's, you it's take about care people. I love that because you take care of your family. Well, thank you so much, Lauren. I could talk to you forever. This has just been fascinating. Thank you. Franchise You is brought to you by the Yum Center for Global Franchise Excellence at the University of Louisville. For more information on the center, visit business.louisville.edu slash yumcgfe.
Thank you for listening to Franchise You.